You're listening to the Plain Label Podcast, Beer Breaks. Hello and welcome to the first episode of what we're calling Beer Breaks. I am your host, Eric Williams, and along with me for this series of discussion, that's right, series, is a frequent guest of the Plain Label podcast and my good friend and movie lover, Mr. Sean Stangland. Hello, everyone. As I mentioned, this is the first episode of Beer Breaks, and we kind of rebranded the pod shot idea. So previously, if you recall, I would be joined by a rotating group of co-hosts and we'd pick a film and we'd discuss that film. And we did about a hundred of those episodes and Sean was on plenty of them talking about really, really good movies and really, really bad movies. Uh, And with our hiatus that we are just, you know, coming out of, I wanted to add a little bit of cohesion with our picks And so what we're going to be doing on this show that we're, again, calling Beer Breaks is we're going to act as a little bit of an intermission. You guys remember intermissions, right? So it's, you know, breaks from long movies, opportunities to get you to go and buy some more shit and hit up the bathroom, that kind of thing. So what we're doing here is we're going to act as an intermission between the regular themed shows that Rachel and I do. So we're going to go through our entire theme, just Rachel and I, and then we're going to have me... And a co-host for that series, and for this first one, it's Sean. And then we'll go back to a series of four or five weekly episodes with just me and Rachel. And so for this first series of shows, we're going to be taking a look at a few films from David Fincher. And we're going to focus on his treatment of a serial killer. And before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that this podcast is still brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. And Mr. Stanglin, I figured you should go first because I would bet my house on the fact that you're having a beer this evening. <laughs> well, you you win. It's a uh, It's called Hopular Kid. It's an American pale ale by Alter Brewing out here in Downers Grove, Illinois. It is is indeed hopular. Mm -hmm. Hopular. I like that. I like the puns that are are cropping (laughs) up all over in the beer world. Uh, I am going with something that has a little... uh, has a little place near your neck of the woods, sort of, at least comparatively, I should say. Oh, you're not drinking a seven and seven? <laughs> I was thinking about it, but no, I did not. <laughs> I did not go with that. Uh, I am going with from the Lagunitas Brewing Company. Nice. Um, I am going with just their plain old IPA. I saw it in the store today. It was on sale. And I thought, Lagunitas, who doesn't sponsor us but should, because I it's like every I think almost every episode that Rachel and I've recorded for the that came out already as uh has been a Lagunitas beer that I've been having. But I do enjoy them quite a bit and it's just something about it tastes a little different to me than most of uh the other beers I have. And so I just kinda find myself coming back again and again. Lagunitas, yeah, they've really built themselves a tourist attraction here in in Chicagoland with their brewery out here. It's uh, it's kind of like the Willy Wonka chocolate factory of beer. It's really <laughs> something. Yeah, if people have not checked it out and are in the Chicago area, they definitely should. Um, I would go there in the day, just saying. 
because of the yes, neighborhood. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> because of the neighborhood. Um, but yeah, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy looking place inside. And uh, we we went with there with our mutual friend Mr. Seabrass and had ourselves a, a nice little lunch and the food was really good and uh, we had plenty of plenty of drink. Yeah, and you get to drink right out on a on a catwalk overlooking the brewery floor. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's good stuff. Some other things that I would consider are to be good stuff would be Mr. David Fincher and his 1997, 1995 film, Seven. Do you like what you do for a living? These things you see? You have to wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here? Too long. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I'm going to come inside five years. Not here. Now, they're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Body was found on Tuesday morning. I hate this city. We're going to get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. There are two more bodies, two more victims. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. He had a gun. He's two murders away from completing his masterpiece. Let's finish it. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow. The IMDb plot synopsis of the film goes like this. This thriller portrays the exploits of a deranged serial killer. His twisted agenda involves choosing seven victims who represent egregious examples of transgressions of each of the seven deadly sins. He then views himself as akin to the sword of God, handing out horrific punishments to these sinners. Two cops, an experienced veteran of the street who is about to retire, and the ambitious young homicide detective hired to replace him, team up to capture the perpetrator of these gruesome killings. Unfortunately, they too become ensnarled in his diabolical plan. Wow, that's kind of overwritten, isn't it? That is a little... (laughs) That is a little overwritten. I would tend to agree. Um, so before we sort of talk about the director himself and the way that he treats the the serial killer sort of trope, uh, what are you? What's your history with the movie Seven? 
Well, I saw this the first weekend it came out. I was pretty excited about it because I was one of the few people who actually enjoyed Alien 3. Ooh, see, now, what I I enjoy about this (laughs) is I like the fact that you went Alien 3 and you didn't try to overstep and go, well, I was a fan of his music videos. Well, I, I was, too. I knew the name for that because I was a religious MTV watcher, and every year David Fincher would be nominated for, like, f- three of the five best director slots at the Video Music Awards. You're, you're, so I, was, I knew I was waiting. Name. I was waiting for a, well, I prefer his <laughs> earlier stuff, such as Paula Abdul's <laughs> Cold-Hearted Snake. Yes. Express Yourself by Madonna is really his finest work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so you saw this uh, soon after it came out. Yeah, and uh, and I remember we saw it at 7 o'clock in theater number 7. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> now, that's you know, one of the things that's weird is I when I saw this, I saw this on VHS, I believe. And... I, I know for sure I did not see it in the theater. And I also never remembered seeing anything about the whole SE7EN thing until fairly recently, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like that only became the title because of IMDb. Mm. Like, um, it appears that way in the opening titles, but it never appeared that way in a poster or on the initial video release. Yeah. But IMDb, when they first launched, was very literal about titles. Like, they, they would only print the on-screen title as the true title of the film. Mm. So I, I feel like they're the reason it became known that way. Oh, okay. Huh, I did not know that. But then, you know, they ran with it when they released the first big DVD, re- like the... The, the Sapphire edition, I think New Line Cinema called their like uh, special editions, and it looked like John Doe's Notebook, and oh, they yeah. branded it with the seven in the title. Yeah, that's the one that I have, and it's funny because every time or each time I've gone to watch the film, I'm like, oh, man, that looks weird. Like, <laughs> I always forget <laughs> that it's like that, you know? I just don't ever – I always think of the poster, like the poster that's on IMDb right now if people were to look where it's got the sort of very 90s effect that you saw in, like, The Bone Collector and some mm-hmm. other films like that, <laughs> where it's, uh, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is a cop movie, and it's got this, like, faux sepia. It's like like they're trying to do sepia, but they're not really trying kind of thing. Yes. Uh, and it's got this kind of strange effect, and it's just got the word seven at the bottom. And so with the tally marks. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. Which is how the title appeared on the trailers too. Mm. So it's like, you know, I, I wonder if it was just something that the, uh, this, the studio that was picked to make the opening titles threw in as a joke. Like, hey, let's see if they go for this. And then like, Oh, okay, we'll do that. And then it just kind of stuck. And what's strange to me is, is uh, like, I've, I know of people that are, who who are named Seven, <laughs> and if I, wow. I, I don't believe, I think I'm correct, but I think that um, I believe that there was a wrestler named Seven in the WCW days, mm, and I believe I it remember was, that. I believe it was Dusty Rhodes's son. Who was Gold the, Dust for a while? I was going to say in the pre-Gold Dust era. Yeah, I think it was WW back when it's F, uh, Gold Dust, and then I believe he came to WCW and was like feeding off of this movie. I felt like 
Wow. Because he was like some kind of a weirdo, and it was seven with a seven in the middle. Did he have Band-Aids over his fingertips? I don't <laughs> I don't think he had that, but I'm going to have to look that up when we're done recording to see if I'm completely full of crap or not. Because I think it was one of those where it had a whole lot of lead up, and then it was like, oh, it's gold dust without makeup? Okay. <laughs> hey, it could be worse. It could have been the gobbledygooker, right? Oh, Jesus. So, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about this film. So we both, I mean, I think I saw it, uh, you know, fairly recently after it came out. I remember at least among my little, amongst my little group of people that I'd watch movies with being, you know, early on this, I, even mm-hmm. though I didn't go to the theater, but what the hell did I know? You know, 95 or 97, 95 I'm gonna keep doing that 95 I'm you know 16 so it's not like I was uh deep into the auteurs and that kind of thing you know what I mean it was like oh here's the seven deadly sins movie that'll be cool you know I was 16 too and I saw like every r-rated movie I wonder how I swung that back then I wonder if my friend that went to most movies was 17 and that's and he bought the tickets I bet that's how I got into all those movies (laughs) Man, breaking those rules. Breaking those rules. <laughs> yep. Okay, so here's what I want to talk about. So I would I would assume that we're on the same page and that we both uh, really enjoy the film. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so we can kind of just build in the sort of gushing about it as we go as opposed to making it <laughs> separated out. Uh, so I want to talk about this first thing here I want to talk about. And, uh, you know, there's there's certain things where even if you haven't seen this movie in a while, I think that you, as a intelligent movie person, should know. And I'm talking to the general audience uh, for the show here. But it should be, yeah, it's not specifically named what city it's in. Yes, mm, right. most of the movie is during, like, a rainstorm, right? Like, those are the mm-hmm. things where you think of Seven. What do you think of? Oh, it's raining the whole freaking time. You think of how there it's not a, any specific town, and you think of what's in the box and all that <laughs> stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing that I noticed, and you know, it's because I'm really screwed on my pretentious hat when I when I begin watching these films for this type of a discussion, is the use of color. And at the beginning, we have Somerset. And when we're first introduced, we're first introduced to anything. We have Somerset, who played by Morgan Freeman. He's wearing all white, from what we can see. Like, he just has a white tank top on. He's in a white kitchen, right? And then he's contrasted by his obviously black skin. And later on in the film, we start seeing all of the things that are surrounding Somerset that are all black. Right, we have the metronome is black. His phone is black. His gun is black. Right? All of his like his hat is black. And so at the beginning, it was like he's in this white surrounding and he's okay that he's giving up on what he tried to do. And then there's this case that kind of envelops him. And then most of the rest of the film, you see him in black, hmm. right? So like I said, it's a lot of pretension. So we have that. 
Okay. See, I never, I never thought about it like that. The, the, the thing with color that always struck me about this movie is how it's so unremittingly dark until the last 20 minutes when they finally stop the rain. Yes. And you see some sunlight, but it's actually the bleakest part of the entire movie <laughs> yes. when you get some color. <laughs> I think, yes, I think that that's exactly right too because you do see, you do see, um, a lot of sun, like the sunniest sun. Mm-hmm. In in the most horrible parts, and I think that that is a, a nice contrast because I remember seeing this with my dad, and first of all, let's just talk about the ending real quick. My dad was pissed with the way that it oh. ended, and he was like, "Shouldn't have ended that way," and just gets up and leaves. And my, and my wow. dad's like not the kind of guy that would do that. Mm-hmm. Like he's he just kind of you know he just goes huh when he doesn't like a movie. Like he doesn't say, mm. he doesn't like verbalize at the end, you know? Um, but he was, you know, he's a, a military guy. He was in Vietnam and all this kind of thing and just did not like the way that it ended. Mm. And I was like, wow. Like I was just sort of floored by the reaction because me being a 16 year old, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. At least he killed him. You know, at least, at least he didn't just like go to jail or something is what my initial reaction is. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that sort of visceral, yeah, well, at least he got his revenge, at least he, so what that, you know, the sort of cycle was complete and he was in the, he was wrath and all that stuff. At least he, you know, got to take out his anger, I guess. Uh, See, I didn't have any of that relief when I saw it. Really? I remember, I remember sitting there in the theater through the credits and not saying a word. And then when my friend and I got back in the car, we looked at each other and we both go, what the fuck, at the same time. Like, we were just stunned by it. I I don't know if I've ever felt that sick over an ending of a movie. Hmm. Um, And and then, you know, you feel, you don't know what's going to happen. And then when it does happen, you kind of can't believe that it's what's happening. Mm. Uh, at least for me. And then the, the credits roll and the credits start going in the opposite oh, yeah. direction <laughs> and it kind of messes with your head and makes you even a little more queasy. And I, I don't I, I felt sick. Yeah. The, I, back, the I, backwards I, credit really is, really is tough trying to yeah. read it backwards like that. And in the theater, it really was like a, it, I mean, it's like one more thing to just really flip you, flip, flip you for real to quote another movie with Kevin Spacey that came out that year uh, to really flip you there in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that. I kind of wish they would uh, have some sort of, well, I guess they wish, I wish they would have done like a 20 year thing a couple years ago and re-released it in, on, in the theaters. That would have been great. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't know how many, I don't know if this is a movie that has uh re-release value in a theater i would go see it i'm sure it plays at like midnight movies in in uh hipster neighborhoods and stuff but (laughs) as far as a mass market re-release i don't know sure i guess i could see that uh so (laughs) so the next thing that i wanted to talk about um i want to talk about mills and the way that he talks hmm and I think that it's interesting that you have the sort of tried and true dynamic, I guess, of the older, wise black man and the young, spunky white guy, right? With your Lethal Weapon mm-hmm. movies 
and <laughs> then you have this. And it's like a dark lethal weapon kind of a thing, right? I never uh, thought of that, but it kind of is. <laughs> well, just with it? the combinations, yeah, and the way yeah. that it's played. So we have the way that Mills talks, and he doesn't pause. Like, when he's talking, he's never actually listening to someone. He's just waiting mm. for his turn to talk. Because when Somerset will say something, Mills is jumping right at the end of every sentence that Somerset has. There's mm-hmm. never like pausing and contemplation and consideration. He's just snap judgment and speaking right away. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that sort of like Speedy Gonzalez sort of talk and point and almost 12 monkeys sort of uh, exaggerated <laughs> Brad Pitt kind of craziness at times, you know? When, yeah, when I watched it this time, what... And I, Brad Pitt's performance, I think, is probably the aspect of this movie that gets criticized the most, if there's any aspect of it that gets criticized. Mm. I mean, I've never had a problem with it. And what struck me was that he's playing the part as if Mills is saying what he thinks a cop should say. Oh. Like, like Mills is, has watched his share of cop shows and cop movies, and he's trying to emulate what he thinks a big city cop should sound like. And kind of, you know, maybe, I mean, definitely strutting his stuff as a young guy coming into a situation with a veteran. But I think also, he, I don't think even he believes half the, you know, he he's, he knows he's playing a part, I think. Okay. I think that's how he's playing it. And there's definitely something going on with, like, the posturing where almost like he he doesn't want to let anybody in. You get this feeling that when you see him at home, he's definitely different with Tracy than he is with anybody else, which is normal. But like he lets his guard do- down when he sees his dogs. Yes. Like you and Somerset seems, re- you know, it seems really out of character for him for what he knows. But then when he's at work, he's all posture like he he drops the gay slur f bomb at one oh, point. Oh yes. And About he doesn't Dante. want Summer. Yes, and he doesn't want Somerset to sit next to him at the diner because he's like, I don't want people to think we're like dating. Yeah. So it's like, and it all it strikes me as all very phony. Like he's trying to be what he thinks a big city cop should be. Yeah, I did put in there that he's very crass and doesn't have a lot of class. Yeah, like when he says, "How'd the fat fuck get through the door?" and even and Somerset's like, "Please." Yeah. You know, he check he he. Definitely puts him in check early on with that stuff. Oh, he does because he's like, "Do you mind uh, sending in forensics on the way out?" <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> just stuff like that. And I and I like how um, maybe it's because of the line that I, of work that I'm in, but I like how Freeman is able to sort of control the room without raising his voice. Yes, you know, and Brad Pitt's character does not have that ability. He's a yell, no. yelling and screaming kind of a guy. Yeah, this is one of my favorite Morgan Freeman performances. It's just like there's little things like when they're in their office and Morgan Freeman learns a bit of information and before he reacts to it verbally, he just kind of pauses and then leans back in his chair and uh-huh. then responds. It's just like little stuff like that. And see, that's it's what just... I'm talking about. That's That's the difference because he's a listener. Yes. Right? And he is a guy that's, um, you know, he contemplates what he's about to say and is careful with his words. And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. 
you know, Brad Pitt has Kevin Spacey come up to him and take a picture of him, and he's yelling, <laughs> you know yelling and screaming, and it's not like you know I would expect Somerset to figure it out or something, mm-hmm. because I do like that he he is shown to have flaws, and he's not, and this is a terrible comparison, and it, it is unfair, but it's not like Tom Hanks in the Dan Brown films. Hmm. Where he looks to the side and then is like, "Oh, got it, figured yeah. it out. We have to go here." You know, it's not <laughs> like that. To where he, you know, when they're looking at the painting and they can't figure out what the hell it is, right? It's upside down. Is it behind this? Is it blah blah blah? And they figure it out, but they, you know, it does show them at least taking some time. Well, yeah. Well, and I mean, really, the detectives, the you know, they're they're not really that far ahead of anybody, since as John Doe says in the movie, John Doe walks up to them, you know. Oh yeah. It is. It's it is kind of a strange. It, it's been a long time since I actually watched this movie. Like oh, I've me had too. it on. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. I've had it on plenty of times, but to actually sit down and watch it, I'm like, you know, the detectives—they're maybe not the best detectives in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I do like how, you know, it is showing them needing help from people with the whole fingerprinting. Yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, Brad Pitt's character is shown several times to not be overly bright. Right. right. Yeah, it, I think it does a good job of showing the job. Yeah. You know, and not, they don't, it doesn't, it's not like here are our two leads and they are super detectives, you know. they're right. It's just, they're guys doing a job. Yeah, now let me ask you this. So... Uh, earlier, when I had mentioned a much, much lesser film, I got a little Sean Stenglin snicker in there. The Bone Collector, <laughs> right? Oh, you know, I've never seen it. Oh, is that right? It yeah. Is, it is not worth your time. It is like a 90s, uh, you know when Ashley Judd had those uh, 90s action films? Yes. It's kind of on the level of that. You know, now that, that kind of makes me want to watch it just because I, I have a certain affinity for all thrillers made in the 90s, and now you've reminded me of that one, yeah. and I've never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> well, my question being then is, what do you think it is about this film and David Fincher maybe that separates it from just a typical sort of, uh, a typical sort of cop movie, like, a, like a something like a copycat? Or something like well, that. I mean, I think you start with the performances in this movie particularly. Mm-hmm. Because Fincher, I mean, it's obviously a very well-directed movie, and it shows some of the hallmarks of Fincher's style. But I don't feel like Fincher takes over the movie. It's not – I don't watch this and feel David Fincher pulling the strings like I do when I watch, say, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I, I want to say there's one sequence where I think, oh, okay, this is David Fincher. Do you know what that sequence might be? Um, no, not, okay. no, not particularly. Okay. <laughs> it's when, it's when um, Pitt is chasing John Doe. Oh, okay. And falls, and we have that slow-mo of the gun going to his head, mm-hmm. and you have the rain dropping off of the gun and all of that. And yeah, it's that's in slow motion. Good. <laughs> that, oh, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. But that's the only time where I'm like, okay, he's he's kind of, you know, letting it hang out a little bit, and is like, oh, yeah, look at this. I can add a little visual something to this, too. That whole That whole chase scene is really outstanding, and it's... I mean, we've seen a lot of chase scenes done like that with the shaky cam and, you know, kind of keeping things where you see them, but you don't really see them. But there's 
there's a weird sense of movement in that scene, not only with the camera, but with the actors too. Like, yeah. cause John Doe's got a limp and Brad Pitt's got his, he, you know, Brad Pitt broke his arm for real in the filming of that scene, which is why his arm is tucked away in his jacket like that. Like oh, everybody okay. kind of has this distinct movement and there's, it's, it's everything about it's kind of just slightly more off kilter than scenes like that are. And it's really striking. Well, and it's I a think, really great example of one of those scenes. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I also like the fact that I think that plays in heavily with the, this is any to any city, mm-hmm. right? So we don't have to show the, they don't have to be running by landmarks or really well-known areas of a certain town. Right. And so that way it feels like you have no idea where they are or where they're going to go or what the sort of geography of the area is. Mm-hmm. And so when the guy is just like running around through these alleys and apartments and all this, I'm like, well, I have, you know, it's like, where the hell is he going? I have no idea. And the camera's not like, not like previewing like, oh, he's going to jump out this window. You know how you right. set up a shot and the, the stunt guy jumps through and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not doing anything like that. Yeah, there, I can't even comprehend what the rain tower budget must have been on this movie. Oh, jeez. Because they filmed this all in Los Angeles. And there, and until you get to the end, there's no hint. Like, I think most people watching this would assume it was either supposed to be New York or Chicago. New, yeah, New York, Chicago. I would have assumed it was shot mostly in New York. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, it's all shot in L.A. And... Uh, you know, when it rains in L.A., it's like a national news story. <laughs> so, I, the, <laughs> I, I suppose you know, if you were gonna, if you wanted to rain in every scene, you were gonna have to buy rent out the rain towers anyway. So why not just have it be? Why not just shoot in L.A.? I guess. <laughs> yeah. What drought? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> just pumping all this water through. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the way that we see the actual killer in this movie is interesting. And I think it's an interesting place to start because throughout the film until the last 20 minutes, it's an unseen murderer. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is so much scarier to me, just the whole not knowing, right? Than it would be if you're seeing um, like a quote unquote, horror film with like a Freddy Mm -hmm. or a Jason or what have you. Right. Because that it's like, okay, there's the guy. And then you, it's like the more, you know about him, the less scary he gets. Right. Yes. And so here it's just, you don't, not only do you not see the person committing the crime, you don't see him except for this, um, the sequence of them running away. You don't see him until the very end. And so you don't know what the hell he is. Yeah. I I was kind of surprised that movie, The Cell, was on cable the other night. The J-Lo um, movie? Yes, it's a okay. J-Lo serial killer movie with, like, weird virtual reality stuff in it. Yeah, I remember that. I remember thinking it was going to be really good, and I wasn't, I was kind of nonplussed by it. Yes, and very early on, you see not only who the killer is, but his entire methodology, <laughs> and it's disgusting. Yeah. There's a really disgusting scene in that movie. And it kind of demystifies the whole thing right off the top. And it's like, well, he's not really scary anymore. You just know he's this weird pervert, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, you know, I don't know if that really hurts Silence of the Lambs per se, because you see Buffalo Bill early on. But I guess in that they know 
they, you know, they have a name for him. They have an MO. They just don't know who he is. Right. But in this movie, it's like they don't know anything about him. But you, you still have that, you still have that bit where once Jodie Foster figures it out and she goes and she has to have the night goggles on. So she still can't like see him really. That's true. It's, it's that whole, like, it's a, it's a thing that a lot of filmmakers use. And here Fincher's just like the hell out. We're just going the whole movie and we're not seeing him at all. Well, yeah. And, I do wonder, it'd be interesting if people seeing this movie now for the first time who are learned movie fans, if they would be able to tell that that's Kevin Spacey before you see Kevin Spacey. If, they, if they'd be able to tell like when the photographer comes or when they hear him on the phone, they're like, oh, it's Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I would say if they haven't seen the movie and they tell you that they know that that's Kevin Spacey, they're full of shit. I, I would hope that's the case. I remember when this came out, I read the review in Entertainment Weekly like the week before, and it said that the killer is revealed, and it's a it's a known actor who's uh, it, and it will shock you when you see who it is. And Usual Suspects had come out the month before, and I was like, oh god, it would be so amazing if it was Kevin Spacey. Uh. <laughs> and god damn it, it was fucking Kevin Spacey. And I about I about had kittens there in the theater. That is hilarious. Like, oh my god, it is Kevin Spacey. <laughs> That's really funny. I did something kind of similar to that when I was watching <laughs> The Sixth Sense for the first time. Ah. I don't know if I told you this or not, but it, they were it's at the dinner sequence. Uh-huh. And I was watching it with someone that had already seen it. And I and I said uh, I go well that's weird that they're not even like touching or anything during mm-hmm. the dinner I go it's almost like he's dead. <laughs> and then they looked at me and gave me this look and I go oh shit he's dead oh great okay and it was just you know just fucking around and it turned into yeah. blowing up in my face. My mom figured that one out. She she and my dad saw it in the theater and like halfway through the movie my mom goes I think he's dead. <laughs> wow good for her. That's yeah. great. That's great. Um, so, yeah, so I do think it's interesting how David Fincher, it is kind of, it's almost, uh, I, I feel like this was, you know, the movie that kind of made people stand up and like, whoa, David Fincher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it is a film that doesn't, I mean, it's dark and it's mm-hmm. wet, but it doesn't like scream David Fincher to me when I watched it again. No, I think he's evolved a lot. Since yeah. Even like if you watch Fight Club now, I don't think you would guess right off the bat, knowing about Fincher's later work, that it was a David Fincher movie. It feels more sh- Fight Club feels way more showy than his movies are now. Hmm. Fight Club and especially Panic Room, they're very showy. Oh movies. yeah. <laughs> well, Panic Room, you come up with the just the graphics at the beginning, cut into the yeah, cut into the whole city. I was like, oh okay, this is gonna have some visual punch, I guess. So um, one of the things, though, that I think is is also interesting is I loved that they kept in the library sequences with Somerset. Mm. And we have the three types of cops because we have the sort of security guys who just don't <laughs> give a shit, right? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't care. And then we have this young cop who's determined to sort of make a difference or he's real gung-ho about jumping in there and going to get this motherfucker type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we have this older detective who's giving up and quitting. Right? 
And so mm-hmm. we have these three different types. And I just like that they add in that third dimension of these guys to where, again, it goes to the, this is not a world where everyone's like, I think it's my responsibility to change the world. You know, right. it just makes it feel more real world. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. Um, so the next thing, <laughs> the next thing I wanted to talk about was the, one of the few sequences that, that, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow actually gets to do something. Yeah, I think she's in like four scenes in the movie, and two, and only two actual scenes. There's the one in the beginning where they're in bed and she has a couple lines, then one near the end where they're in bed and she has no lines. So she has like two scenes. Yeah, at the beginning where they're all in white again with my notes mm-hmm. about, about yep. the colors, uh, with the white phone, by the way. Um, oh yeah. So we have this dinner sequence, and again. Uh, she's wearing all white and you know, they're becoming friends and you get this whole, uh, shaking apartment stuff and it's a good chance for everyone to laugh and you're, you can't help but laugh along with these guys. Right. Mm -hmm. And every time Somerset laughs, it just kills me (laughs) every time that big Morgan Freeman laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing that I noticed and was just so funny to me and I'm guessing is not going to be funny to most people. But there's two things. First of all, it's the it's the line when Mills is playing with the dogs, and she says that you know right when I met him I knew I was going to marry him. He was mm-hmm. the funniest guy I knew, and he's like, really? <laughs> he goes right when it, it was like he says really, and then she goes he was the funniest guy I knew, and he's and he says really like that. You know, it's the <laughs> it's the two reallys, and which really makes me chuckle. And then the second thing is after Tracy goes to bed. Uh, they had all been having wine with dinner. I, I know what you're going to say because I noticed this last <laughs> night too. And, <laughs> so they're talking about it and he's doing his 12 monkeys bit. Uh, Brad Pitt is, <laughs> you know, and he's very gestures, very gesturally. Mm-hmm. And he says, beer? And he goes, wine, please. And he goes into the kitchen and he comes back and he's got this Tom Collins glass. <laughs> yes. Almost full to the brim of red wine. <laughs> And he hands it to Somerset, and Somerset just looks at it and then sets it down. And that just fucking killed me. I just thought that was so funny. And it, again, was just like such a tiny, tiny detail yes. that he's just a man without class or he just has, you know, and I, and I guess you can you can uh, dress it up and say, oh, well, he's so one, he's on just one track trying to, find this killer but i just think he's uneducated yes i think that's exactly what it is he just doesn't know like he can't read (laughs) i mean he can't read like (laughs) it's not like those books are hard to read (laughs) maybe it's the english major and teacher coming out in me but it's like i don't i mean sure dante's tough but it's not like uh racial slur dante and right throwing the books and all this stuff (laughs) sort of that kind of reaction uh, although I do like that too, with a good work officer and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that part just absolutely floored me. And I, like I said, I told my wife, like I said before we recorded, I told my wife about it, and she was just like, "Yeah, I, <laughs> so what?" So he brought out a wrong glass, and I was like, "Well, yeah." I, see, I think that's the kind of little detail that I, that will make me go head over heels for a movie. Yeah, it's stuff and that, like that that, and, and I think not only visually, but it's stuff like that. It's the attention to detail is what yes. does separate this from a film 
that's just mediocre. Yeah, and I that's the kind of thing where I wonder if it was in the script or if Brad Pitt came up with it on the set or David Fincher came up with it. I just loved that. I, I now I kinda wanna watch the commentary and see if they address that. Yeah. I've seen the I watched the commentary years ago. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen the commentary in a long, long time. But I think that uh I did see recently on Twitter that uh, Andrew Walker had put on his uh, his Twitter feed, the old typewriter that he used to write this. Wow. It was like a picture you know, of it or something. He showed up on Twitter today. The Hollywood Reporter wrote about him today Ooh. and actually wrote about the ending of this movie. Oh, and really? He's promoting some wacko animated film that he wrote. Now, this is the first time I've heard his name since Sleepy Hollow, which was 18 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, and he just recounted the story of how he rewrote the ending for the script that Jeremiah Chechik got, who was the original director attached to this, who, as you may remember, directed National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Wow. And instead of directing Seven, he directed The Avengers, starring Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman, which is one of the worst movies you will ever see. <laughs> the British Avengers. Yes. But when he, uh, when Fincher got the script, he somehow got the original script. With oh. the original ending, and Fincher's like, "Well, fuck, I'm not changing that." <laughs> mm, interesting. So. Yeah, he's. Uh, I don't know. I wonder what happened to Mr. Walker because he did seven, and I don't. I mean, is it because he worked with David Fincher? Because Eight Millimeters is next film. Yeah, and he did Sleepy Hollow. I get the impression from the Hollywood Reporter article today that he's been an uncredited script doctor for many years. Okay. And the including Wolfman? on Fincher's movies. Apparently he did uh he did a punch up on both Fight Club and I think Dragon Tattoo. Okay. Huh. Well that, I mean that just seems odd that, you know, this film was Pretty expertly written, I would say. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, and it seems <laughs> strange that a guy like that has not produced more work. I don't know. I don't know, but I know from uh, you know, I know from reading about Carrie Fisher in the last few weeks that script doctoring can be quite the lucrative uh, career. Yeah, isn't so. that crazy? <laughs> hmm. Yes, <laughs> that's interesting, huh? So, uh, okay. So speaking of the script, some of the things that I thought was interesting about the foreshadowing that we have toward the mm. end is you hear Somerset say, this is not going to have a happy ending. Right. And you hear it and you're just like, oh yeah, right. Oh, come on. You know, <laughs> that's just a character. But you know, it's almost like it's David Fincher telling you, look, this, you're going to go through some shit. <laughs> this is not going to end well, <laughs> you know? And I really thought that that was a, a vital moment, and I really think that the the laughing while they're shaving their chest before they go out with John Doe is a is a vital moment too. Yeah, I, spe- I like that moment because it's kind of like to me, it's like Mills has overcome his macho bullshit in that moment. Uh-huh. Like you know, his his kind of thinly veiled and possibly posturing version of homophobia that we've seen before uh-huh. that he's, he's letting this guy in like, like this might be the only male friendship he really has, which I mean, just going by the movie, it is the only male friendship he has, but one gets a sense. It might be the only one period. Yeah, it could definitely be. It could definitely be. 
because he kind of treats all all the guy all the men he encounters in the movie like all the co- other cops. He kind of talks to all of them like an asshole. <laughs> he really does, yeah. So it, you know, maybe maybe it's like a, an implication of daddy issues. So he doesn't trust other men, doesn't want to get let men close. I don't know, but yeah. there's a lot of subtext in here. There really is, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it is. Uh, I think the way that the reveal is is so perfectly done. So this reveal of John Doe walking in and giving himself up, mm-hmm. uh, I love the fact that it's over the shoulder of John Doe for a little while. And we have in the background Somerset and, and uh, Mills, and they're just going about their business, right? Trying to find the mm-hmm. guy, all this sort of thing. And you start hearing him say detective, and that's when it's like, oh, okay. Watching it back, you're like, yeah, now I can hear the Kevin Spacey, right? <laughs> and and then he does the great detectives and draws it out like only Kevin Spacey can. <laughs> and I think you're looking for me, and he just plays that. He plays that quiet and sort of chillingly calm so well, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think that that is. So much better than following him murdering people. Yes, absolutely. Then, you know, following him just deciding one day to go into the police station or following him while he's writing in the notebooks. Yeah. You know, I'm just glad we don't see any of that because we we ha- then have to interpret, you know, we keep hearing about all of the patience that this guy has by taking pictures and going to the grocery store again mm-hmm. and doing all of these different things to these different people. And I'm just glad that it's like we don't get to see any of that until the final moment when he decides just to give himself up. Yeah, it is kind of in its own little way sort of analogous to um, Marion Crane getting killed halfway through Psycho, I guess. Sure. It's the same kind of... It's not the same narrative beat, but it's the same kind of pulling the rug out from under the audience because the movie's been going along and it seems pretty clear that he's going to, it seems like they're going to get down to the last one and that's when you'll finally see who it is. And, and, but to have him just, just give himself up with two murders to go it, and then you get to see who it is. I mean, it is, it is, it really does change the whole end of the movie from what your expectations were going to be. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I remember thinking, okay, well, they're going to do, you know, they're going to do Envy and then, you know, whatever with the with the Wrath one. Mm-hmm. And I figured it was going to be some kind of, you know, somebody cheating on somebody or somebody having a lot of money and someone being jealous or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just some typical thing. And, you know, then they're... The way that it the way that it goes down, I think from that point on, I could not have been more glued to the screen. Absolutely. And I still find myself, you know, I'll I'll be frank in that some films, if I'm watching them and I'm not really that into them or I'm just having a hard time with the movie, I'll be distracted with other stuff. Right? When I'm watching a movie like this, I'm watching it and it's like I will take my phone and put it somewhere else. To where even <laughs> yes. if I you know get some sort of message or whatever, I'm not going to see it until after I'm done with the movie. You know, I'll have the laptop closed. I'll have everyone be like, "Look, I'm watching this. 
So you're tr- <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this is the this is the dick in me coming out. It's like you have the choice of being quiet and sitting and watching this with me, or <laughs> you can go into the other room because I'm watching this, and it's it's a lot of dirty looks and. All right. I just wanted to know which one they were on, which kill, which death they were on. <laughs> now you can talk to me when this is over. <laughs> uh, which was, you know, didn't go over super well, but whatever. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about the end again. So we have, God, I, I had no idea what was going on with the end. We have them driving just out in the middle of nowhere. We have this shot. And I'm so curious about the choice of the perspectives in this cop mm. car. Because it's it's as almost as if it's from the perspective of Somerset the whole time. Hmm. Because we don't ever hardly see him driving. That's true. It's always Brad Pitt and then through the bars to Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's not really from like you see then Somerset looking at Kevin Spacey through the rearview mirror, too. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that it's interesting that it's like this last bit of the film here. We're going to look almost as if it's through Somerset's eyes or something. I wonder if that was a function of sort of forcing you to think of it as being Somerset's movie so that when the narration, the inexplicable narration comes at the end, which was tacked on, that it doesn't feel quite so inexplicable. Hmm. I wonder if they did, because I know I've read that 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 last bit where he gives the Hemingway quote was like a studio mandate. Like, you got to leave us on something. I wonder if that changed the editing of the whole movie to try to give it more of a Somerset favorable edit. You know what I mean? I would have hmm. loved for there to have been no words after the gunshot. Yes. And just nobody saying anything. And you just have Somerset back in a taxi leaving or whatever. And you have Mills in a back of the cop car. And you just don't say anything. Yeah, the quote doesn't bother me because I think it, you know, how he says I believe in the first part, it does... Oh, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's well written. <laughs> it's in keeping with the movie's tone, but it is it it is weird that all of a sudden we have a character giving voiceover narration in a movie that that was not first person at all. Especially with it being Morgan Freeman too, with all of what he's known for now, you know. Yes, but I guess if you think about like how the movie starts, it starts with Somerset. Yep. I do wonder if they went back and edited the whole movie to to make it to make that um not the whole movie but key parts of it to make that narration not seem as jarring to make you feel like Somerset is your point of view character the whole time. Yeah, I mean I can't oh, I mean the editing question, I can't think of how else it would have been like I think that's the sign of a really good movie is it's like how else could it have been? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I would never have wanted to open on like Mills getting into town and following right. following exactly. him until we get to that first murder or something. Oh god, I can't even imagine. Or like seeing Well, yeah, the whole movie would change. Yeah, or seeing when when the guy showing Mills and Tracy the the apartment or something. Yeah. I feel like that's the sort of stuff that we would see now. Well, I think if you made this movie 
well, yeah, I, I do wonder if other studios or other producers would have made this movie where Mills is the central character and you would have seen that stuff. It is definitely Somerset's movie because you, you hardly see any of Gwyneth Paltrow. She's kind of a mystery to him. You know, he, he's introduced to her with a phone call that seems like out of nowhere. So, mm, man. And again, and again, we don't hear the phone call either. I like right. That. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that. A movie, a, a version of this movie where Mills is the main character probably doesn't work as well. No, I don't think it would. I mean, even no. with the same, even with everything being the same, like even if it's just a different cut or something like that, yeah, it just doesn't structurally work at all. God damn it! Because <laughs> <laughs> why are these just... people that make the movies so smart? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Yeah, so I don't know. So that's. You know, so t- so I guess tell me. You said that uh, you said that you were stunned by the end. How did you find? Did you discover the whole head when Somerset did, or did you have an inkling of it before, or anything like that? I thought, you know, like they. I think everyone who has seen movies, the first inclination is that the box is going to be some kind of bomb, and they call for the bomb yeah. squad. When he says there's blood. My first thought was that the fetus was in there. Oh, yikes. That I remember that being my first thought, and I wonder if that was even suggested at one point. Like, no, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we could put Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box, but we can't put a fetus <laughs> in the box. Jesus Christ, are you insane? But that was really the first thought I had. We can show a, you know, a knife implement on the end of a dick, but oh, we, can't, uh, <laughs> we can't put can't put. That shit is still shocking. Oh, that is horrific. And I'll tell you, Leland Orser is in this movie for like a minute and a half, and boy, does he act the shit out of that minute and a half. Oh, he's he's tremendous. With the I fucking fucked her, fuck, all that stuff. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine what that poor guy had to go through for that movie to give that performance. Good God. But I don't know. I you know I don't know if it's um. I mean, it's the whole thing, the the, the way it's edited, directed. Howard Shore's music, which is like completely atonal and kind of sickening in itself, mm-hmm. and then Brad Pitt's performance there. I mean, it's just raw emotion. I mean, it's almost like it's almost he's not vomiting, but it's almost like he's vomiting his words out in, in that at the end there. And then that split second of Gwyneth Paltrow's face, man, that just put me over the edge, man. Oh, that, yeah, that cut, that is brilliant. That little, that little glimpse into Brad Pitt's mind. Oh, God. Whoa, that gave me the chills thinking about that just now. Oh. Yikes. Um, I, I was in the same boat. I, I saw the thing come out and I'm like, okay, he's just going to blow up the two of them. That's, yeah. this is going to be stupid. You know, I, I saw it for a moment. I was like, oh, no, don't don't do that. Don't just have it be a stupid freaking bomb. And it was the I think it was I was so sure that it was going to be a bomb, mm-hmm. the 16 year old and me. And I was so sure of it that I was sort of in the the Mills camp for a bit. I'm like, what is it? What's going on over there? What's going yeah. on over there? Mm-hmm. Right? And then when Kevin Spacey's like, you're not listening to me. <laughs> or he says something like that. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. What is he talking about? 
<laughs> you know, it's like, goddamn, I wish I, you know, I, I want to just rewind and watch that bit again because mm-hmm. I'm like, what did I miss? But it's from then on to where I kind of had the, oh, no, it can't be kind of a yeah. reaction. You know, it's like, I don't know what this is, but it, I, I, it can't be uh, her dead. Like, I was, I'm hoping for some kind of a TV, like, oh, it's her hand or it's her foot or mm-hmm. whatever. Right. You know, and I think, again, in lesser films, that's what we would get. We would mm-hmm. get some part, some part of her. They would rush to save her. Yes. He would have some stupid ending where the guy tries to kill them at last or something. Uh-huh. And it would just be like, oh, God, what that's, is that? That's the version starring Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones. Yes, absolutely <laughs> it is. So tell me, what was the what was the ending? I'm unaware of the original or the the revised ending. Oh, well, they, and they have storyboards of it on the one DVD package where Somerset kills him at the end. To save, really? yes, to save Mills. And that's bullshit. That's bullshit ending. That is a bullshit. Because I don't believe that Somerset would compromise his integrity like that. No way. No, because he's a guy who said that he only drew his gun a couple of times, right? Yes. And so Mills is a guy who'll shoot at the drop of a hat, it seems like. Yeah. So, of course, he's going to, you know, whip the gun out and... And lose what little sort of grip he has. Yeah, with the there sort is a of version whole macho bullshit thing that he's got going. Yeah, there is a version of that other ending you could envision where it's like Reginald Bell Johnson and Die Hard, where they play oh. it for her- for true heroism. Like he finally pulled his gun out again and he did something good. Sure. Okay. But, sure. But I mean, it's bullshit. It's a bullshit ending. If it would have been like that, they would have had to establish a lot more of this guy means a lot to Somerset for some reason. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and they didn't do that. And I guess they could have gone that way with the whole she's pregnant and she's the girl. Right. uh, Like she's the wife that Somerset never had and that kind Uh of stuff. But I just, I didn't never got that impression from them. No. So yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. That would have sucked. We wouldn't have been talking about it if that was the ending. No, yeah, I mean, and I think if, I don't think David Fincher would have been directing this movie either. I think this would have been a Jan de Bont movie or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, somebody like that. This would have been a Rob Cohen movie. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. It would have not been great. No. It would have not been great. Well, that's the extent of uh, of my notes. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about uh, about Mr. Fincher or anything like that? I, I just, um, you watch this movie, and it's so nice to be reminded of how amazing Kevin Spacey was in the late 90s. God. And you now know, he's just a joke. He's I think he's just a joke now. He's... Like, if I see his name on something, and, and I, you know, and I know people like House of Cards. But I see Kevin Spacey's name, I'm just like, ah, fuck that. I think it was the, I remember this, and of course, Usual Suspects, and I really did like him in American Beauty, and I don't give a shit what yeah. people think. Like, I, well, I liked that in the theater, and just was all about it. Well, yeah, American Beauty hasn't aged the best, but <laughs> right. it was a powerhouse performance, for sure. I feel like American Beauty now kind of plays like a, like an episode of an HBO uh, dramedy. 
yeah. Like a six <laughs> like, feet under or something. Well, yeah, which is, you know, that's the same writer, and but I think six feet under is better. But I just, you know, you had Usual Suspects and Seven and Swimming with Sharks were all in 95. And Swimming with Sharks, which nobody saw until until after these movies, and it was on video, and people were like, oh, i got to see more of this Kevin Spacey guy. And he's just such a dominating figure in in that movie. And he became, I mean, I, I was excited to see everything the guy did. But then he Oh, well, just, I mean, yeah, because you have A Time to Kill and L.A. Confidential and Negotiator. Yep. I loved all of those movies. Oh, and Negotiator's great. That's yeah. I think that's one of the great underrated thrillers of the 90s. It is really good. <laughs> and it is It's good. just like after American Beauty, he was like, well, I'm going to do some of the worst movies ever all in a row. He did Paypax. <laughs> that was exactly and, what I'm going to say. Oh, God damn it. So that that's was... not even the worst one. The Life of David Gale Oh, 21 and life... Pay It Forward? <laughs> Good God. The Life of David Gale. Oh my God! We're gonna—you're gonna kill yourself on camera. The That's life of David do. Gale is one of the worst pieces of shit ever made for so uh, many reasons. You know, Ugh. I did like the United States of Leland, though. Oh, I never saw that one. Oh, really? That—that's pretty good. But I—I re- I just remember. Okay, American Beauty is this huge deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know about some of this other shit he's doing. This seems like small potatoes, right? And then <laughs> we see, and then I was like, "All right, K-Pax. This is gonna be him." being a big deal again and i went to the theater and i was so pissed like halfway through and was just like this is dog shit what's going on with this i know and it it didn't it didn't only drag him down but jeff bridges was in it too it's like come on you guys know better than this that's why i figured that it was going to be good and i was like yeah the hell this is not this is not any good (laughs) what are you doing guys the the (laughs) same guy made was in Capex, David Gale, Pay It Forward, and 21. Those are four of the worst movies you will ever see. Ugh. <laughs> Pay It Forward. Ugh. Pay It Fucking Forward. <laughs> if you kill him, they will come. That's what the tagline for Pay It Forward should have been. Uh, Spoiler yeah. alert. Oh, anyway. and then we, I mean, not to mention <laughs> Superman Returns. Well, yeah, that's a weird movie. And that's just, I mean,. Talk about people that had at once done interesting films and then, like, just doing a remake of the original Superman movie, kind of. It's like, Brian, Brian, what are you doing? That really is one of the strangest movies anyone's ever made for a major studio and just spend all that money on it to make. We're going to make a sequel, but it's going to be a sequel to Superman 2. And we're going to ignore the other movies, and it's going to pretend like it's all the same people, but it's not. Uh, it's what a weird movie that is. It is so strange. And, and has just, like one action scene in it. Yeah, I was going to say half it hour is, Superman movie. It's so boring. Yeah. And then it led to just such a over course re- correction in the other on the other way with freaking Zack Snyder. Ah, oh, what a mess! Fucking Superman movies are. I know. What well, and what trash. Good lord. Ugh. Let's not even talk about ah. Batman v Superman. Or well, what? No, I'm kidding. You know what? I didn't even <laughs> I here's here's a full confession. I didn't make it through the funeral of Bruce Wayne's parents. <laughs> I started watching it and saw just the way that it it just felt 
Uh-huh. And I saw it, I started watching it on HBO and just was like, no, I'm I'm not doing this. You mean you didn't need to see Bruce Wayne's parents die for like the 12th time on screen I mean, since I think you were like, born? There's probably <laughs> two, what, two or three movies that have been made with Batman in it that does not have that scene. Yeah, something I mean, like Jesus. that. Jesus. You got Batman, Batman Forever does it. Batman Begins does it. Batman v Superman does it. <laughs> and then Christ. Gotham, Gotham did it. I don't remember if they show it in Batman Mask of the Phantasm, but I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, that's better than half of the Batman movies that have been made. They do show it in that, don't they? Because isn't a big chunk of that movie a flashback? It is, yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? It's. I mean, they show that all the time, and then now they're going to reboot another Spider-Man movie, for Christ's sake. Yeah. And they're going to do that from Whatever. the beginning again. Jesus. That's how <sighs> I know that I just don't give a shit about the superhero stuff anymore. I just really don't. I don't watch any of the TV shows. And this is coming from somebody that religiously would watch Smallville and think, no, 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 it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to come back around. Like, it's going to figure it out. Yeah. I liked it for a while, and then I was like, this is some shitty shit. I'm not into the TV shows. I have... I have watched a few episodes of Supergirl, but I think that gets by mostly on the fact that Supergirl is super cute. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> yes. I mean, I still like the Marvel movies. I think I think the current Marvel franchise is very healthy, and I'm very see, excited to see Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Sean, I haven't seen... I didn't see Cap 3. Oh, I didn't good. see... I didn't see Doctor Strange. I didn't eh. see Ant Man. I didn't. I yeah. haven't seen. I can't. I can't even tell you. The, I obviously didn't see the the uh, ridiculous Apocalypse X Men movie or whatever. Oh, I'm one of the few people who actually liked that. Really? I don't know. Oh, I, that's I, right. I re I remember seeing your Twitter on that. I, yeah, I like that one. And I like Age of Ultron. I, I I guess that kind of makes me a Marvel apologist. I guess, but. I mean, what can I say? If you, I like the characters, so I will agree that I'm looking forward to the Logan movie, though. Oh, it looks it looks tremendous! It looks like <laughs> if the Coen Brothers made a superhero movie. It really does. <laughs> it, I'm like cautiously optimistic. Yeah, because I'm, I, I, mean, yeah. I mean, I remember reading that when it came out, when the the regular story came out, and obviously it's different, mm -hmm. but yeah. and it's the same as like the the Thor Ragnarok stuff. That I've seen, like, I'm like, okay, well, I, I fucking read that. <laughs> Just make up your own shit. Just yeah. do your own thing. Oh, my God. I don't know. That's like a whole other discussion. How the hell did we yes. end up on that from Seven, for Christ's sake? Uh, Kevin Spacey. Blame <laughs> right. Kevin Spacey for God everything. Damn. It's Kevin Spacey and his fake fucking southern accent that gets me all worked up from House of Cards. <laughs> oh. Well, I just hate that shit. All right, well, I, I think that's pretty much gonna do it for this uh, this first series of or this first episode of our series on David Fincher. If you have any comments, suggestions, or themes that you would like to hear us talk about, specifically for beer breaks, as we're calling it now, you could email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail dot com. You could follow the show over at Twitter. Our handle is at plainlabelpod. We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account for. The podcast. It's just look for Plain Label Podcast and you'll find it. If you wanted to help us out a little bit, you could head over to Amazon.com. You could search for our wish list. Uh, it's full of movies that we either have talked about or want or um, that sort of thing. Little books that are 
related to uh, some of the directions that we've talked about. I know I've got a David Fincher book up there in case anyone wants to buy that for me. We've got a whole host of goodies up there in case you're in the giving mood. Just search for the wish list called Plain Label Podcast. So I do want to thank Sean for coming on once again and discussing yet another film, even though it's in a slightly different format. Uh, if people wanted to hear more from you or get in contact with you, how would they be able to do that? You can find my articles at dailyherald.com. You can follow me on Twitter at DH. And if you want my unfiltered uh, Twitter vomit, <laughs> you can follow Sean the Diz Nerd on Twitter, uh, where you'll see stuff about the Disney parks and pretty much anything else when I'm bored and sitting in my apartment at 2 a.m. <laughs> and Sean will be very upset about the state of uh, Walt Disney World message boards. <laughs> Dude, those fuckers complain about everything. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so the reason that it was nice to have Sean on for this first episode of this version is he was the first episode when we were calling it Pod Shots. And Sean, do you recall what that movie was? That was Sunshine by yes, Danny Boyle. It was a tremendous two-thirds of a movie. <laughs> yes, tremendous and then we had what is what was after that do you remember um i think after that might have been prometheus wow look at the steel trap <laughs> you, you can go back and listen to those a lot of those episodes where um i have a shitty laptop and i cut out every five seconds oh i know it was glory it was glorious editing it was glorious yeah. editing this is back in and and for reference this is five years ago. I was going to say, I think the first one had to be five years ago. Yeah, oh, 2012, yeah. And, uh, you know, we did several other ones. I think the pinnacle, at least in effort and time spent, <laughs> <laughs> had to have been our marathon discussion about Lost. Yes, and I've listened to the last installment of that where we talk about the finale. Uh, I've listened to that like two or three or four times. Now, here's the here's the deal with Lost in the end. <laughs> when Anel and I watched that, and we rewatched it for the recordings, we drank heavily toward, <laughs> toward the end of the show. Yes. And she still claims... I don't I don't know how it ends. I don't remember. Uh-oh. And I just shake my head. And, <laughs> well, dear, if we're going to, you know, because I'm thinking in my mind, if we're going to watch the end, we're, we we got to watch the beginning. Oh shit. And if we're going to watch the, the beginning, we got to watch the whole thing. I'm oh, not just shit. starting with the last episode last season and just, you know, <laughs> figuring it out. Oh my god, it's such a daunting idea. It's, I've thought about it many times. Oh. Tell me about it. And so instead, what we've done is, you know, we've distracted ourselves with much less convoluted and complicated shows such as Westworld. <laughs> yes, much less. <laughs> and so we, we've watched that. And, uh, you know, I've I've begun watching um, The Leftovers with, from Damon Lindelof, mm -hmm. and, which is a show that I think I enjoy more than most. At least where I'm at, which is like toward the end of the first, mm -hmm. the first season, and I mean, I'll say we talked about the strap-on being horrific in seven, 
there's a sequence toward the beginning of one of the episodes in The Leftovers that is, like, I literally almost turned it off. Wow. Like, I almost could not handle it. I am not familiar with that, and I kind of followed, I didn't watch it, but I followed what was going on. I don't know what you were talking about, so now I've got some Wikipediaing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in the first uh, five or six episodes. It's one of the uh, uh, the Daily Reminders, I think is what they're called. Oh, boy. It's one of the, the people in white, and something horrible happens to her. All right. <laughs> and it was it was horrific. It's that, uh, whew. Well, bad. look for that, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so look for that. It's almost as bad as uh, The Killer Inside Me. Have you seen that? I have not, but I know it by reputation. Okay. The Killer Inside Me, wonderful film, a horrific scene mm-hmm. with Casey Affleck. and uh, Who is Allen. apparently a horrific human being, too. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. If you want to yeah, Google Casey Affleck and lawsuit, uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, super. He might be your Oscar winner in a few weeks. Wow. Okay. Yep. Well, even though we were uh we've turned into a rambling mess and we went everywhere this last like 5 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for those that uh that hung out and and uh stuck with us, I'll all say there at the end. And we'll be back next week with another David Fincher film and this time we'll be talking about Zodiac. 